going. Hope you guys are doing well. Thank you so much for worshiping with us this morning, children. You can be released. And as we get started, as Anthony said, a special Mother's Day to all the moms here. So, so grateful for you. I feel like as I get older, I realize more and more what my mom did for me over the years and like my appreciation grows because I'm like, oh, and you had to go through this stage too. And that was so not nice, but you'll hear some stories of a bit later. Like, I'm sorry. Like, I'm just so thankful for the way, like, when, when you love Jesus and you display his character within the family, that is a beautiful gift to a home. And, and I also want to say for those who are here and have never had children, and sometimes Mother's Day can be a hard day of just remembering that. And maybe there's been loss. Maybe there's present heartache. I just want you to know you're not alone in that. Like, we care for you. And even just thinking through what it says in, in Psalms 113, when it says, He gives the barren woman a home. Like, there's this reality that I pray that you would know the peace of Christ today even when there may be loss or sadness. And so I realize it's a day for rejoicing, it's a day for celebration, and it can also be a day that's heavy for others. And I think as the body of Christ, we get to rejoice together and we get to weep together. And that's a beautiful, beautiful thing. So today, we are going to be continuing in our study through 1 John, picking up in chapter 5. So if you want to turn there, we're going to be starting in verse 1. It's on page 18 if you have the scripture journals. And what we're going to be talking about today is family. Like, this is where God has us in the text, particularly the family of God. What does it mean to be part of God's family? And as children of God, that we display the uniqueness of who Christ is, we display his resemblance. That each family has certain traits, right? Certain characteristics, certain mannerisms. For me, I remember when I was that not nice teenage boy in the house, I liked to draw um, caricatures of people that were typically not nice. It typically was my teachers, but I came home one day with one of my mom. And it was of her nose, and a guy skiing down this nose going super fast, super large, and I thought it was hilarious. My mom did not, so she, she grabbed something, and she took me by the hand and led me to the bedroom, and she's like, okay, look in this mirror, what do you see? So I looked, and she's like, look at my nose, and look at your nose. And she pulled out a measuring tape, and she's like, we're going to measure them. They're exactly the same. <laughs> exactly the same. And she just, and that's all. And then she's like, okay, and left. And it was like, there was a family resemblance there that I could see in her, but not in myself as I looked in the mirror. That there's traits that we have. And when, when there's a new child, we're like, oh, who do they take after? What mannerisms, what traits do they have? And, and what we're going to see in today's passage is that as God's children, we display the resemblance of Christ to one another. There's going to be three different traits that we're going to see described here. This, this family resemblance that we then display to one another, that we can then see in one another, that maybe we can't see in ourselves, but we can see in another person. And we're going to see how these traits make us victorious, victorious in a world 
that is broken and hurting and cynical, that these very traits are what give us hope that we have overcome in Christ. And so I want to invite you to stand with me as we pray and then read God's word together. Lord, I thank you again for this opportunity this morning together as your family, Lord, to worship you, Lord, to sit under your teaching, to be transformed into your likeness that we could display the resemblance of you to one another and to a hurting world. Lord, would you transform us through your word, by the power of the Holy Spirit, for your glory. Lord, and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So 1 John chapter 5, if you remain standing, beginning in verse 1. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. By this we know that we love the children of God. When we love God and obey his commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not a burdensome. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world. Our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. This is he who came by water and blood. Jesus Christ, not by the water only, but by the water and the blood. And the Spirit is the one who testifies, because the Spirit is the truth. And there are three that testify, the Spirit, and the water, and the blood. And all these three agree. If we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. For this is the testimony of God, that he has borne concerning his Son. Whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar, because he has not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning his Son. And this is the testimony, that God gave us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. This is God's word. You can be seated. So I want to walk through this. What makes us a family? Like if you've placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, what makes us brothers and sisters, part of the same family that we should share any resemblance to one another, regardless of our background, regardless of our story that brings us here this morning? What makes us one family? And we see right here at the beginning in verse 1. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. It kind of lays it out. Like what makes us family? Christ. Jesus makes us family. We are one family. And we see this throughout Scripture. Romans 12, verse 5 says, So we, though many, are one body in Christ, individually, members, one of another, that we are connected, part of one body. And even earlier, 1 John, in chapter 3, verse 1 says, see what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we, that we should be called children of God. And so we are. 
Like, this is the context that is being written. We are part of the family of God because we have placed our faith and trust in Jesus. This is what makes us one family. Because we have the same Heavenly Father. That God in flesh, Jesus Christ, who was perfect in life, forgiving in death, victorious in the resurrection, unifies us as one church family. One local expression of His broader body as brothers and sisters. This makes us family, but then what are the family traits? What are the resemblance that as we look at one another, we could sit down and see in one another that we share together? The first one, and we're going to see three this morning, the first one is love. We see this throughout it when it says, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of Him. Like we see this initial thing that, that the family trait that we, we have with one another is love. First, a love for God. Who first loved us? Right? That's what it's saying, that He first loved us, that God is love. We looked at this last week, right? Not just that He displays love, but He is in essence, nature, character, love. And He has displayed this love for us by sending Jesus into the world who died on the cross for our sins. And that He loved us. Before we loved Him, He loved us. His love for us initiated. Our love is responsive. Because He loved us, then we love Him. And so we see this characteristic reflected. We receive love, we give that love back to Him. But it's, it's more than that. See, there's something unique that's said here when we look at it. Look at verse 2. By this, we know that we love the children of God. Now think about that. Who are the children of God? We are. Brothers and sisters. How do you know that you are loving one another? Because we talked about this last week, right? What it means to love one another. But how do, like, it, are, are you loving to one another? How do you determine that? How do you know? And this says, by this we know that you love other believers when you love God. When we love God, do you love God? Like, have you ever considered this for a moment? Like, if we just step back and think, like, so often I think we have this individualistic mindset of what it means to love God. Like, this is me. Like, what does it mean to love God? That it's more than just fuzzy feelings and poetic language. Like, when we love God, we're going to see it's going to lead to obedience. But our relationship with God is an expression of love to others. Have you ever considered that? Like, how do you relate to God? Are you indifferent toward Him, angry toward Him? Have you ignored Him all week and then you come here and expecting yourself to love one another and them love you? Like, that would be crazy. This is saying your relationship with God, how you walk with Him, see Him throughout the week, impacts the person next to you. This is a little countercultural, isn't it? Because we want to say in our mindset, like, oh, this is just between me and God. This has nothing to do with you. But in reality, this is saying it does. The way you love someone else, the way we love one another, is to start by loving God. Your walk with God impacts the other people here. It does not just impact you. Like, there's a weight to that, isn't there? 
Because there's something we're being called to reflect to one another. That adds to, to, I think, the weight of what we're being called to. That love is one trait of the, the family resemblance. But obedience is the second. And it's listed right there in verse 2. By this we know that we love the children of God. By this we know that we're loving one another when we love God and obey His commandments. So not only is it in loving God, but also if we walk in obedience is another way that we express love for one another. Because there's kind of two aspects here that we're going to see with love. One is our obedience to God expresses love to each other. This is how you know if you are loving other people here at Crosspoint. Do you love God? Are you walking in obedience to His commands? Because this is or is not an expression of love to one another. I mean... Again, there's part of this that seems countercultural, but there's another part that if we're honest, it kind of makes sense, doesn't it? Like if you have a family and one person is saying, oh, I know we have these family rules here, but I don't care. Or when you have discord between two siblings or, or, or the child and parents, and it doesn't impact everybody else, but it does, doesn't it? Like there is an impact. That there is this brokenness that's felt. Everybody in the home is impacted by that. And that's what this is saying. The way we relate to God, our love for Him, and our walking in obedience to Him impacts each other, not just you. But obedience is also how we express love to God. Like, love isn't just a feeling. Because if we're honest, our feelings go up and down, right? How strongly we feel something, how unstrongly. Those feelings can change. But how did God express his love toward us? Did he just stand back in heaven and say, hey, I love you guys. Good luck praying for you. No, like that's what we looked at. Like the character of God in his love moved him to engage our brokenness and display His love, to manifest His love by sending His only Son into the world to be murdered on the cross. That was His love toward us. Now we receive that love and respond to that love. How? Through obedience. Love and obedience. Verse 3, look at what it says. For this is the love of God. This is what love of God looks like, that we keep His commandments. It's making this connection that love and obedience go together. Are we saved by grace? Absolutely. Your works do not save you. But because you have been saved by grace, that will lead you to walk in obedience. That is the expression of God's saving grace. That is a display of love in every aspect of our lives. And as we walk in obedience to His teaching, that is how we are expressing our love to God, and that's how we're expressing our love to one another. Not just us, but there is a community aspect here, a responsiveness. And so... If, you, if I were to ask the question, which I am, do you love God? 
what's, what's even meant by that question? Not just how you feel about God, though I think our feelings do matter and our affection toward God. But is there a responsiveness to who He is? Is there a desire to know Him and walk in accordance with His Word? Is there an understanding that that aspect of who you are impacts not just your relationship with God, but it is also reflecting that resemblance to one another, helping us see in ourselves, if you will, both the resemblance of Christ and our faults. But this is something that, that's being impacted together. We're not just a bunch of individuals that gather randomly independent of one another. There's an interconnectedness of what this is calling us to. And here's the thing. There's part where that can start to feel overwhelming, can it? Like, oh no, what does this mean? One more thing. Am I obeying enough? Have I done enough? Like all of a sudden it's like, how many things do I have to obey? Am I, am I getting everything right? And all of a sudden, it's like one more thing. I don't know if I can handle one more thing. I'm already stretched to the max. And all of a sudden, like our minds can start to spin up and being like, Am I, is it enough? Is it enough? Is it enough? And I think this is exactly what John is getting to as he continues. For this is the love of God, verse 3, that we keep his commandments, period. And his commandments are not burdensome. It comes right afterwards. It's not like, okay, and now here's these 600 things you have to follow. Get them all right. Love one another. Good luck. No, it's saying it's not a burden. Like what's being asked of you? What we're being invited into together? It's not this heavy weight that we have to carry. It's not burdensome. And I think of Jesus' words back in Matthew 11, verses 28 through 30, come to me. Come to me, if, if you feel, all you who labor, you're trying really, really hard to get this all right. You're trying to be perfect in your eyes, in everyone's eyes. You're trying and trying, and you feel heavy laden. You're putting more and more rules on yourself, because if you do this right, then God will love you, and everyone else will feel loved, and you're going to be right. So keep carrying it, and here's one more thing to add to what's making you heavy laden. And he says, if you're feeling all who labor, all who are heavy laden, come to me and I'll give you rest. And there's this exchange that happens when we lay down our labor and we lay down the heavy burden that we carry and we take the yoke of Christ. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me, he says, for I am gentle. Here's the thing that strikes me. We can hear these things, and I'm aware some are familiar with it, and it can just be like, oh, I know where this is going. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do we actually believe it? Like if we just pause for a moment. Is Jesus gentle? Does he actually care about your labor? Does he actually care about your burdens? Is he actually willing to take all of that and in his gentleness and lowliness of heart, Jesus, take my yoke, learn from me. I am gentle, 
Jesus says, I am lowly in heart. You will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burdens are light. Like, do we believe it? Not just do we know it. Like, I want those words to just weigh on our hearts this morning. That this is who Christ is. Lowly of heart. Gentle. Taking the burden. To receive His love. People came to Christ and said, Teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law? 613 of them. Pick one, Jesus. Which one's the best? And He said to them, Jesus said to them, You shall love the Lord your God. Who is God who first loved us? Think of this. He loved you. What's the first commandment that He says? Love God. Love Him with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul. This is the greatest and first commandment. Receive my love and give me your everything. For I'm gentle and kind and my burden is light. And the second is just like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law in the prophets. The love you receive, give God your everything. And then give that love that you have received to one another. That's it. That's what we're called to carry. And, and here's the question. Is it enough? It almost seems too simple, doesn't it? Like, what difference would this really make? Like, if, if you and I were to, to say the most important things that we can do in the church, the most important thing as a mom that you can do in the home with your kids, that you can do at work, is to love God and walk in obedience to His teachings. Is that enough? I mean, the world can feel overwhelming, can it? The brokenness, what we see the news all the time, the, the war crimes in Ukraine, we see domestic violence played out in memes and, and social media. We see the, the brokenness, yet another natural disaster, and we say, really, you're going to sum it all down to love and obedience. Is that it? Because it can feel like your feet are stuck in the sand and the sea tides are rising, making it harder and harder to breathe. And you're just saying, love God and obey His Word. I don't know if it's enough. I don't know if it's sufficient. Maybe there's more. Maybe there's something else. And this is where we see the third trait come in. Love is the first, obedience is the second, and faith is the third. In verse 3, like just walking through the text, just let John tell us, for everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. Verse 5, who is it? Who is it then that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? To overcome. It means to conquer, to, to prevail, to be victorious, to vanquish, to, to seize the day. 
All of Scripture echoes this. Those born of Christ in His love because of faith in Jesus Christ have overcome. And Scripture, not just here, echoes this again and again and again. But will we believe it? Will we take hold of it? Or will it just be a passing thought? This is what it says in Romans 8, 35-39. Just walk through this with me. Who shall separate us from the love of God? Who? Is anything greater than the love of God? Is there anything in this world? What can separate you? Because if you're saying, hey, the world is strong, the world is broken, and I feel like that brokenness is greater than God's love for me, and I feel like we're not going to overcome because it's not sufficient, what then can separate us from the love of God? That's the question before us in Romans 8. Shall tribulation What about when hard times come? Is that going to separate you from the love of God? What about distress? Literally meaning, I had to look this up, like, okay, what does that mean? It it has this sense of becoming claustrophobic when the challenges press in. Have you ever felt that way? Like, the first thing that comes to mind right now is, is Justin and his family who's not here because... They've had one problem after another in their apartment, and last night, that meant this massive leak under the sink that has flooded three rooms in their house. And they've been getting water out of their home after all the electrical problems and rugs being replaced and everything else. It's like, one more thing, right? Have you ever felt that way? Like, it's just one more thing, and you feel claustrophobic. That's distress. But can that separate us from the love of Christ? No. Can persecution, can family, can nakedness, literally to be exposed when everything of comfort and covering is stripped away, everything that you hide behind to try to protect yourself is stripped away, will that separate you from the love of Christ when you are fully exposed? Can danger or the sword... The passage continues. It's asking these questions. What can separate us from the love of God? Will the world overcome? No. It says no. In all these things, we are more than conquerors. We are more than victors. We are not just survivors in the love of Christ. We are victors through Him who loved us. Not by our own strength, but through Him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen? Those who are born of God have overcome the world. Conquerors. Victors. Is the love of God sufficient to overcome the world? Yes. The resounding answer is yes. And so why would we look to anything else? The greatest thing that we can put our heart and mind and hands to is to love God and walk in obedience to His teachings. And then we are victorious. Verse 4, And this is the victory that has overcome the world. What is the victory? Where is our victory? Our faith. Not the substance of our faith. 
not the, the amount of our faith, not, not how strong is your faith. Is your faith good enough? Do you have enough of it? It's the object of your faith. In whom or what are you trusting? Because it is Christ who saves. It is Christ who is victorious. We are not saved or victorious because of our faith. We are saved and victorious because of who our faith is in, in Christ's victory. Faith in Jesus, the Son of God, our victory. And it says, like in verse 5, like I just, I love how it walks us through. And who is it then that overcomes the world? Who is it then that is going to overcome except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? It makes it clear, right? That's who's going to overcome. If you have placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, in who God declares Himself to be, that He is God in flesh, fully God, fully man, perfect in life, forgiving in His death on the cross and victorious in His resurrection to return, to call His sons and daughters home with Him for eternity. This is who will be victorious. But is our faith trustworthy? This is really where verses 6-12 through 12 go. As you continue reading, and it can be somewhat confusing, the testimony. There's language here that I've wrestled with all week. Right? Like, really wrestled with this all week. <laughs> like, cause it, you just look at verse six. This is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ, not by water only, but by water and blood. And the Spirit also testifies. And it's not just these two, but it's the three. What is John saying? I don't know. <laughs> That's what, I can read the commentaries. I can tell you what I've read. I don't have a deep conviction that I have a sense of this is what he's trying to describe. Some say the water is Jesus' baptism and the blood is his crucifixion. And, and these two things testify to who Christ is. I don't have this just strong conviction as to what it's saying. So here's what is clear. When something is not clear, what I tend to do is I focus on it to see if there was any way I could have an explanation this morning. I don't. It's where I'm at. But then I go to what is clear. What can be known here? And there are things, there's three things here that I think are super clear that we can take away from this. The first is the truthfulness of God's testimony. I don't fully understand what the water and the blood is. The Spirit is clear, but He's making a clear point, isn't He? That these three together are making a testimony. And that means something. I think it's referring back to in Deuteronomy uh, chapter 19, verse 15. It says, a single witness shall not suffice, um, but only the, the evidence of two witnesses or of three witnesses can something be established. I think John's making this case of, look, it's not just one aspect of who God is. It's not one aspect of what God has says that we are placing our trust in. It is three witnesses. This is upstanding. This is truthful. And it's also then saying that God's testimony is greater than man's. That if we receive the testimony, in verse 9, of men, the testimony of God's greater, right? 
Like, we're not just believing some YouTuber. You're not just believing me. Like, well, Pastor Steve said this. No, this is the testimony of God. This is what his word says. This is what God has to declare to be true. You're not putting your faith in what I'm saying. You're putting your faith in what God has declared about himself. We can read this for ourselves. You can compare what I'm saying against his word and say, is this true? And it's saying it's greater. And, and, and let's be honest, we see, I see this playing out right now all the time. Like we, in the news, Johnny Depp, Amber Heard, and it's like you have like, okay, this terrible marriage, this domestic violence that happened, who, who do you believe? Whose side are you on? We don't know either of those people. We don't know what happened. But then you have people being like, well, I believe her, I believe him. And it's like, we don't know. We so freely give our opinion to a person that we don't know, and yet God himself has testified, and we're like, I don't know. Like, this is what it's saying, right? Like, if you receive the testimony of a man, why in the world wouldn't we receive the testimony of God, who has in numerous ways, through his word and the person and work of Jesus Christ, made himself known to testify. And then you're like, well, what did he testify about? What did God say? John tells us. Verses 11 and 12. And this is the testimony. See, this is why I love the Bible so much. Like, (laughs) right? It's just like conversation. Like, okay, I still have some questions. Well, let's answer them. This is the testimony that God gave us eternal life. And this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. That is saying that if you have placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you have life. And this isn't just life now as in the breath in your lungs. This isn't just eternal life of something that's going to come later after you die. This is eternal life that starts today now. It's the purpose, meaning of our lives. Why am I here? For what purpose? It is the entire essence of our being that is being proclaimed in who Christ is and what we have in Him. God has given you eternal life. And He has given you victory over the world. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. And so two things are asked of us. Two things. Love God. And it's a responsive love. Receive His love. And reflect it back by walking in obedience to his teachings and loving one another. This is how we love God, and this is how we love one another. I think about this when it comes to who we are as a church and our families. How do we love one another? What does that look like? Love God. Walk in obedience to his teachings and let's reflect these family characteristics to one another. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you. Again, for this time this morning, Lord, I thank you for the clarity of your word. Lord, that helps us see that because of Christ, we are one family, brothers and sisters. Lord, that how we can love one another is because of what You've done. 
Lord, but just because we know this, it doesn't mean it's easy. There's challenges here. There's heartache. There's disappointment. Lord, I, I pray that you would help us to feel the joy of your invitation to come to you. Believing and knowing and experiencing your gentleness. What it means for you to be lowly of heart and to receive our burdens and our efforts laid down to take upon our shoulders the yoke of your teaching, Lord. Lord, would you help us, help those here who feel stuck, who might feel indifferent, hurt, wounded, distant from you, Lord, would you draw hearts and minds towards yourself and let that invitation ring out in their hearts and minds to come. Those who are weary, those who are tired and heavy laden, come. Lord, help us as a church family to rest in your love, to reflect your love to one another and walk in obedience to your teaching. Lord, for the joy of the family, Lord, and for the good of our community. Lord, and we ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.